You know, folks, if you're in Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to look at chapter 1 today. I, I usually think about my sermon series way ahead of time, and actually I thought about this series back in August of last year. I felt the Lord was laying Nehemiah on my heart, but when we entered into September, I, I kind of felt him say, no, not, not, not at this time, so we did Philippians, which was a really good series. I have had a lot of you comment to me about the impact of that in your life. But then as we were approaching the end of Nehemiah, uh, the end of Philippians, I was trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do now? Do I go back to Matthew? And I didn't feel good about that. But then it, it, through some different circumstances and so forth, it came back to, okay, now's the time to go through Nehemiah. And, and here's why. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that all of us, when you look at your life, we grow used to things. Did you do you know what I'm saying? You just kind of grow used to it, and you kind of wish that things would be better, but you've kind of given up hope. Did you know what I'm saying? I'll give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. You know, I when when I grew up, the first TV that my mom and dad had was a black and white TV. Now, people who are born now don't even know what that is, okay? A black and white TV, and... You had an antenna that you had to constantly turn and move. I thought we were moving up in the world when Dad bought one of those things that would turn the antenna outside, okay? You know, the thing that you put on. And and they were big TVs. They looked like a piece of cabinet, do you know what I'm saying? And and we had a black and white, and but it had a dial on it, and you had to click, 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 you know, turn the dial this way or another. And and, and as always, because you're using it all the time, the, the knob wears out. Now, how many of you ever had the knob fall off because it just wore out? And no matter what you tried to do, you stick a little paper in there to hold it in, and after a while, it wouldn't work. So finally, because, and you you thought your parents were cheap, well, they just didn't have money to go buy another one, because buying a TV back then was expensive. It wasn't like it is now, where you can buy a 52-inch for nothing. I mean, it was expensive. And so Dad would get a pair of needle-nose pliers, and you would take the needle nose pliers and turn it to the next channel. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and you just got used to that. You just kind of like, if you want to watch TV, you knew that, well, if you're going to have to turn the antenna or you're going to have to use the needle nose pliers. And you get used to stuff. I mean, and you went over to your buddy's house and they got that brand new color TV with a remote. What's a remote? You know? And, 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 but you've gotten used to things. It, it's, I'm, what I'm bringing that up for is that's kind of like our lives. You're walking along with Jesus and things aren't working the way they used to be. And you don't know what to do to change it, so you just kind of get used to the way it is. You want something more, but you don't know what to do. So you're are used to the needle-nose pliers changing the channel. And that's really what this series is going to be about. It's called Rise Up. It's time to get out of the mode of accepting things the way they are and expecting God to do something more. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the fact of the matter is, for a lot of us, we don't have any expectations of God. I mean, we talked about that in the last series. We, we live on the surface. 
And, and we don't have any expectations of God doing anything, let alone answering prayer. And that's really what we're going to talk about is really addressing the issues in our life. Now, we're going to refer to the issues here as the walls of your life. The walls of your life. Because what we have here is a story of Nehemiah and the city of Jerusalem and its broken down walls. And when you understand the significance of the walls in Nehemiah, you understand what it means in your life. Because the walls to the city meant the wholeness of the city. It meant the stability of the city. It meant the protection of the city. It meant being whole with God. Because as long as those walls were broken down, it signified that things weren't right. In your life, you have walls in your life that are really bring wholeness. You have the walls of you and who you are in your relationship with God. You have the wall of your marriage, of the wall of your family. Even this church has a wall. And the problem is, is that for some of us, it may be broken down in some places, but you've just grown used to it. You've just learned how to adjust to it. And that's really, it's not that you accept it, it's that you learn how to adjust to the way things are. Do you, do you understand? Just like you learn how to adjust to turning a TV with a pair of needle-nose pliers. You just learn to adjust to it. And so that's what we're going to do, is we're going to look at some faith lessons, because we're going to look at a man who decides that God needs to do something to rebuild the walls. So look with me. We're going to look at chapter 1, and we're going to talk about broken walls today. Chapter 1, he writes, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hilkelah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year that I was in Shushan, the citadel. All right, let me just stop for a moment. What he's referring to here, Shushan, is what is now modern-day uh, Iran. Okay, so he's not in Israel. Then Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress, are there in great distress and reproach. And the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was that when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I prayed, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. We have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. 
And if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast off to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servant who desires to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to look here. We're going to basically divide it up into three sections. And from each section, we're going to gain a faith principle. So if you have your bulletin, on the back of the bulletin there, you'll see the way that we normally fill out as you go along here. And you're going to notice that with each section, there's going to be some faith principles for you to fill out. Okay? We're going to learn some lessons from this passage about how we can apply it to our lives. We're going to talk about, first of all, what's going on. And then we're going to talk about what we can learn from it, okay? So first thing we're going to do is look at the report. Now here's what's going on. Verses 1 to 3. We meet a guy by the name of Nehemiah. He's a Jew. And he's serving the king of Persia. He's serving the king of Persia. He is his cupbearer. Now, what is a cupbearer? Well, about the closest thing that we have to a cupbearer would be a food tester. Even the president of the United States has a food tester. He just doesn't eat anything that's put in front of him. Somebody makes sure that the food is okay so that he's not what? Poisoned. Same thing back there in that day. You just don't give the king a cup of juice to drink. Somebody's got to test it to make sure that it's okay in case somebody wants to poison him. So this is what Nehemiah's job is. It's a pretty trusted position. You just don't have anybody test your food. It's got to be somebody who's really close to you that you trust. So he's a trusted official of the king of Persia. But he's a Jew. How did he get to Persia? Well, if you remember, back before when Babylon defeated Jerusalem, they took all of the captives captive to Babylon. They were there for 70 years. After 70 years, the Persians defeated the Babylonians, allowed the Jews to go back to Palestine, back to Judah, back to Jerusalem, to re-inhabit where they were taken from as captive. But some of the Jews remained in the service of the kings. One of the most famous ones that we know of that was in the service of the king of Persia is Daniel, the prophet. Here we see Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is a Jew, and his brother and some other men go back to the home area. They go back to Jerusalem, and they bring back a report because he wants to know what the news is. Don't you have relatives who live beyond here and you call them and you, and they'll say, how are things back in Seaville? How are things back in Kerwinsville? How are they things in Clearfield? You ever notice that? People will ask that. Same things going on there. How are things back in Jerusalem? So I want you to notice what happens here. He gets a report that things aren't going really well. Here it is. Not just 70 years later, but possibly 80 years later, 
and the walls of the city have not been rebuilt. They're still in ruin. Now, why is that significant? Because in ancient cultures, the safety of a city was based upon how well the structure of that wall was, because that would repel raiders, thieves, other armies that would try to come in. But they didn't have any kind of protection. So they come back and he says to them, things aren't going well. The people are distressed. Think about it for a moment. If you knew there was a crime wave going on in town and all of your locks don't work and your windows are broken, wouldn't you be a little nervous? No, George, I have a friend. Well, let's say you don't have your friend, that pistol. Let's say you're all by yourself. Like you ever go to the city and you don't know where you're at and you're feeling nervous there? They're feeling nervous. So here's what I want you to see. The first thing that comes out of this passage. The broken walls brought a strong sense of vulnerability and disgrace. The broken walls brought a strong sense of vulnerability and disgrace. So he hears that his brethren are in Jerusalem and that they're disturbed and distressed. The, the, the point there is actually the verse is trying to say is that they're in shame about what has happened and that they can't do anything about it. We say, why don't they just rebuild the wall? Well, history shows, to, shows us that there were actually some leaders who lived in the area around Jerusalem. They had petitioned the king of Persia for the Jews not to rebuild the wall. So they were actually forbidden by the king of Persia from rebuilding their wall. How do you like that? Be told that you can't protect yourself. That's what's going on here. The walls, which really signify the wellness and the wholeness of the people, are not allowed to be built up. Now here's the faith lesson for you and I out of this. Here's the very first faith lesson. You have to be realistic about the broken walls in your life. You have to be realistic about the broken walls in your life. And let me just go ahead and say this to you right now. Every single one of us has broken walls. Oh no, George, everything's going well, hunky-dory. Well, that's what you would like for us to think. But the fact of the matter is, is if you took an honest assessment of your life, of your marriage, of your family, even of our church, you would see that there's some broken walls there. But you've learned how to adjust to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've learned how to adjust to having broken walls in your life because you really don't know how you're going to rebuild them. You're almost like not allowed to rebuild them anymore. You don't believe God can do anything about them, so you've just learned to adjust to the broken walls. But I'm going to tell you right now, when you get adjusted to the broken walls, you kind of forget that they're broken. Do you know what I'm saying? You kind of forget that people don't live that way. You've gotten used to it. Well, I'm here to tell you that I really think that we're going to go through this series for a purpose for you to no longer get adjusted to the broken walls in your life. It's time to wake up to the reality of them. Well, you say, George, what's the use? Because I can't do anything about it. No, but you can't, but God can. 
And see, that's the first faith lesson is you've got to be realistic about the broken walls in your life. So maybe, maybe everything else is going okay, but maybe your marriage is not what it should be. Maybe your marriage is great, but maybe your personal relationship with Jesus isn't what it should be. Maybe the church you go to has got some broken walls. We've just learned to adjust to them. But the fact of the matter is, is we need to wake up and allow God to do what he needs to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? The first faith lesson is be realistic about the broken walls in your life. That's the first one. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. How are things in Jerusalem? Not good, Nehemiah. Here's the scoop. Here's the scoop. Let's go on. We're going to look now and see the brokenness. If you look at verse 4, here's how Nehemiah responded to the report. Look at verse 4. So it was that when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Here's the first thing, the next thing I want you to see here. Nehemiah was emotionally crushed by the plight of the city. He was emotionally crushed by the plight of the city. I think you and I can relate to what he's talking about here. You ever have, like, you ever get a report about someone you care for, you love, and you hear that they're going through some difficulty? A lot of times we kind of blow stuff off, but sometimes when you hear about something that's really going on, it devastates you too. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, you have to sit down for a moment, like Nehemiah did, and say, oh my, that's terrible that they're going through that. That's what he's doing here. The report of the broken walls crushed him. Not so that he just wept for a moment. He was bothered by it for days. That's how much he cared about them. You say, okay, George, what's the faith lesson here? Well, here's what I need you to see. Because at this point, maybe you're starting to recognize some broken walls in your life because I'm assuming right now the Holy Spirit's showing them to you. Here's the second one, second principle, faith principle number two. You must allow the reality of the broken walls to move you. You must allow the reality of the broken walls to move you. Say, wait a minute, George, I've already cried over these broken walls before. I'm beyond that now. Yeah, I know, you're indifferent. You've learned to adjust to them. You've learned to realize that you can't do anything about it, so you just live with it. I understand that, but I'm asking you to go back. I'm asking you to allow the reality of the broken wall, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your life, in your family, in the church, to move you. See, that's what's got to happen is you've got to get out of your indifference. Isn't that what we normally live in? Is it a state of indifference? Nothing moves us anymore. You need to allow it to move you to a place of brokenness. Why? Why do I need to feel that way again? Because when you feel that way, you realize that the only place that you can go to with your pain and your hurt is who? God. You cry out to God. That's what Nehemiah did, right? He sat down and wept, and he was broken for several days, and finally he cried out in prayer to God. See, that's the thing that's got to happen. If we're going to address the broken walls in our lives, 
First of all, we've got to recognize what they are again. Quit being indifferent to them. Number two, allow it to move us to the place that we're crying out to who? God. Crying out to him about the issue in our life. Let's go on. We're going to see how he prays. And I think this is significant because you say, George, I've prayed. I've asked him to take it away. I've asked him to do something and nothing's happening here. I understand that. But I want you to see how Nehemiah prays. Look with me at verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned many days, and I was fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. Now here's what he said. Then I said, I pray, O Lord, God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who kept your covenant and your mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayers of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Now here's the first thing we're going to see from the prayer. Nehemiah confessed his responsibility for the city's sin. Nehemiah confessed his responsibility for the city's sin. Now you're saying, hold on a second, George. All right, wait a minute now, hold on. How old is Nehemiah? The city was destroyed. You already said they were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. It's probably another 10 years here. So, so they were, that city was destroyed at least 80 years before this, Nehemiah hears this reports. How old is he? Because he obviously isn't from Jerusalem, so he didn't do anything wrong. Why is he confessing? Because he realizes he's just like his fathers. And he has the same tendencies. And even though he wasn't there, he still does the same sins. He doesn't listen to God. He does his own things. He breaks God's commandments. So Nehemiah confessed his responsibility for the city's destruction because he knows the city was destroyed. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll know that the reason why God allowed Babylon to destroy Jerusalem is because of what? They had turned away from God. They had sinned against God. And Babylon was destroyed because of their sin. It was punishment. So he's recognizing his responsibility in this. Even though this happened 70, 80 years before, he's responsible. He's responsible because he has the same tendencies. Same tendencies. Here's the faith principle for you and I, and this is the one where we're going to have to spend some time thinking about Faith principle for you and I. Faith principle number three. You have to confess the issues that led to the broken walls. Okay. Here's what we've said. Number one, 
faith principle number one, recognize the condition of your walls. You say, that's not hard for me to spend a lot of time there. I know what they are. I know what it is in my family. I know what it is in my marriage. I know what it is in the church. Okay, fine. You have to allow that to move you because faith principle number two, you need to allow that to move you because you want to be moved towards God. You say, okay, I understand that, George. I understand that. I've I've been there. I've been indifferent, but I'm willing to allow those emotions to come back to move me towards God. Now, here's what number three is telling you. Number three is, is you got to address and confess the issues that you did that led to it. That one's hard. Why? Because we all struggle with one common problem. Pride. Oh, it's her fault. Oh, it's his fault. It's their fault. It was my mama's fault or my daddy's fault. It was my scoutmaster's fault. It was that preacher's fault. And we come up with all of the reasons why it's somebody else's fault concerning the broken walls in our life, right? It's my husband's fault. If he just didn't leave his underwear laying around all the time, what does he think I am, a maid? Or it's her fault. If she just didn't quit nagging me all the time, asking me to pick up my underwear... It's my mama and daddy's fault because they're just like keeping me in a cage and I want to be free. It's that preacher's fault. It's that coach's fault. It's everybody else's fault, isn't it? But there you are. You've got a broken wall in your life. You've got a broken wall in your marriage. You've got a broken wall in your family. You've got a broken wall in the church. And it's everybody else's fault. See, that's our problem. But here's the thing. The faith principle is that you begin to recognize that, you know what, it's broken, yeah, maybe because of somebody else, but I helped break it. I helped break it too. And you go to God and you confess that. Now, let me explain to you what confession is. Confession isn't this mamsy-pamsy, oh, please forgive me, God, I sinned. Yeah, yeah, anybody can say that. We've sinned. But God knows exactly what you did. So with God, who knows exactly what you did, it's a whole lot better to go to him and say, God, I did what you saw me do. And he saw you. And you say to him, forgive me, Lord, I did do that. And I admit it. Forgive me, Lord, I used dynamite on my wall. I didn't just use a sledgehammer, Lord. I used dynamite. Lord, I know the other person was holding the dynamite, but I lit the fuse. Did you understand what I'm saying? You've got to be honest. See, here's the question is, you say, well, I don't know if I want to do that, George. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you want to keep living in indifference and living with a pair of needle-nose pliers that's turning the dial on your TV? Or do you want to move beyond that into something more of wholeness in your life? I think I'm, a, I'm, I'm kind of sensing that we want wholeness. We want wholeness in our life with Jesus. We want wholeness in our marriages. We want wholeness in our families. We want wholeness in our church, right? Am I, am I correct in assuming that? Well, you got to recognize that the walls are broken. you got to be broken over the fact that the walls are broken. And number two, you got to recognize that you help contribute to the problem. 
And quit saying it's somebody else's fault. You got to own your stuff. You got to own your stuff. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. That's why our prayers maybe need to change, right? Because that's the first thing he starts out with, God. I know that you can do this, but you, you know that we're the ones who messed up. We're the ones who sinned against you. Let's continue in his prayer. We're going to see the fourth principle here. Look with me at verse 8. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandment and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what's going on. Nehemiah reminded God of his faithfulness and promises. That's what he's doing here. After making confession, here's what he does next. He goes and he says, Lord, this is what you said you would do if we returned to you. Lord, this is what you said you would do. Now listen, why is he doing that? He's not doing it to manipulate God. Because number one, can I just... Just let you know, God is not manipulated. God's not manipulated. You can't just say the prayer the right way to get him to move to do something. Do you understand? He knows that God's not manipulated, but what's he doing? He's not trying to manipulate God, but he's trying to remind God what God said he would do. He's reminding God to act on what God said he would do. So he's going to God and he's saying, God, you said if we would return to you, if we would want to make things right, you would bring us back and you would make us your people again. You promised that, Lord. He's reminding God of his faithfulness and his promises. Now here's here's the next thing I want you to see. Here's faith principle number four. Look to God's promises as a source of strength, not manipulation. Look to God's promises as a source of strength, not manipulation. Because you're here and you're saying, okay, I'm recognizing the broken walls. It's moving me. I recognize my responsibility in the broken walls. But I still got broken walls, George. Yes, but you go to God and you say to God, God, You told me if I came back to you, you would help me. Lord, you you told me that if I was with you, you would strengthen me and you would help me. You would help me in my marriage. You would help me in my family. You would help me in the church. Lord, you would help me. You said this, Lord. You gave me this promises. Now, you're not going to him trying to manipulate him like, oh, you promised daddy to take me to ice cream. Isn't that how we pray sometimes? trying to manipulate it. But no, you go to him and say, Lord, you said that if we were walking with you, you would bless us. And I need your healing in this situation, Lord. I need you to repair this wall. 
See, that's the faith principles. You look to strengthen yourself in God's promises, not to bring about manipulation. Do you understand? It's a different mindset. But there's also one other thing he does here, which is what I'm going to try to encourage you to do as you think about the broken walls in your life. Look with me at verse 10. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What man is he talking about there? The king. See, Nehemiah knows that the only way those walls are going to get rebuilt in Jerusalem is if the king allows it. Because remember, I already told you history shows that he already had made a decree that they weren't supposed to be rebuilt. It was against the law to rebuild them. So the only person who's going to change the wall situation is who? The king of Persia. And Nehemiah can't go and say, hey, king, wise up, do something about this. No. It's going to take God doing something, right? Because look at what he does there. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now, what's he doing there? He's acknowledging that he doesn't have the ability to change anything. All right. You've got some broken walls in your life, in your marriages, in your relationships, in your families wherever, in the church, whatever. you got some broken walls. You also confess and you say, because you've tried and it didn't work, there's nothing I can do about it. Isn't that right? There's nothing I can do about it. So here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, Nehemiah specifically asked God to do the impossible. He's asking God to give him favor with the man who can change the situation. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. He's asking God to do the impossible because he's just a cupbearer. He's not even a counselor to the king. He's just the guy that makes sure that his juice is okay. Do you understand? That they got his tea right. That his iced tea has enough ice in it. Nehemiah specifically asked God to do the impossible. So here's the last principle, faith principle number five. And, and here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you're looking at your life and you're saying, George, I got some broken walls. And I want things to be different. Well, here's faith principle number five. Be specific with God about your broken walls. It may seem impossible. They're broken for a reason. There's a reason why they're broken. And you can't even fathom in your mind how it's going to change. Isn't that what happens sometimes? We get to the place where we don't know what we can do to change it. That's fine. Nehemiah listened and he heard the report about Jerusalem and in his situation, there's nothing he can do. But he knew that there was a man who could do it. God, show me favor with this man. Change that man's heart. God, you change the situation because I'm just a cupbearer. Here you are. You've got a broken wall in your life. 
and you're looking at it and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. First of all, you can't do anything about it, but I know the person who can. And so do you, Jesus. So you go to him and you be specific with him about your broken wall. Don't be this mamsy pamsy, oh God, repair my wall. No, you talk to him about it. It's broken down. Pieces are scattered everywhere. This is what's happening because of it. I need you to change this. Help me put one piece back up so it works. You get specific with him about it. Specific with God about it. But here's the thing. You've got to want it to change. I want it to change for you. But it doesn't really matter if I want it to change for you. You've got to want it to change. Do you understand? You've got to want the walls to be rebuilt. So rise up. Rise up.